You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Road to Nationals, have you have you played any yet? No, I have two this weekend. Um, I don't know if you heard, but I, uh, I've got some extra cardio booked this weekend for the Fab Fitness Month. I will be uh, di- domesticating this so-called <clears throat> wolf pack in, uh, <laughs> in Oklahoma. I, it's funny, I texted Steven. Um, Stephen Woolley from Team Covenant this morning. I was like, hey, man, you're going to be at Edmund? He was like, yes, I will, but I'm certainly not going to see you there because I I have hit them up for the last two and been like, hey, you guys going to Edmund? See you there. And then I wake up and it's like, oh, you got to get up at 5 a.m. I was like, ah. But this time, I'm going up the night before. We're booking a hotel, so I'll definitely be there. Maybe. Good, cool. Wow, I hope to see some results. Last time our draft didn't go so well, so I hope to see you redeem the limited side for Arsenal Pass against the Team Covenant folk, but Anyway, Brendan, here we are, episode 66, and uh, we've got, I think we've got an interesting podcast this week. You know, a lot of discussion and discourse in the community right now, a bunch of, a lot of, a lot of different topics actually sort of bubbling to the surface, and this week, Brendan, we're going to share kind of our sort of like hot takes, or I guess some of the things that are on our mind about flesh and blood that we want to discuss. We've done this blind, so both of myself and Brendan have actually thought about the things that maybe, you know, we want to talk about, we want to discuss things that are interesting to us about flesh and blood, takes we have on the game that we want to share but we, we kept them from each other because we want them to be a surprise or I guess fresh to each other to see kind of where we line up on certain things and then to discuss them in the show. Isn't that right, Brendan? Yep, it is. Um, I know that we <laughs> accidentally figured out that we have one in common, but I think a lot of people will have that one in common with us. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, definitely want to discuss that. It's probably top of my list. So we'll, we'll get to it when we get into the main topic of the show. But first of all, Brendan, how was your week in Flesh and Blood? What did you get up to? Uh, just testing. So there was... It's- I was really surprised that there weren't any local road to nationals here. Um, I think they're yeah. week one. There might've been a CC one, uh, but yeah, there was just nothing really available. I have two this weekend, one of which is in Oklahoma. And then the other one is here in Dallas. And then I should have some the weekend after that. I'm so happy to finally get, finally play. Right. I've been doing a lot of uh, like draft VOD review for testing, as well as like we have draft gauntlet decks that we play into each other, swap out some cards, kind of figure out the pick orders a bit more organically if we can and see how things, uh, things are, things do when paired. Um, So I think I've gotten a lot better, but I haven't been able to draft very much. So I'm pretty excited for this road to nationals. Yeah, nice. For, I mean, for me, it's uh, no road to nationals last weekend, no road to nationals this weekend. They're all out of state, so I'm I'm not traveling for any. Uh, there was one close to me last weekend, but I've decided to just kind of take two weeks of downtime. You know, the, the calendar's pretty hectic, as we've just found out, for the rest of the year for Flesh and Blood. Um, and just, uh, I think, a good opportunity to take some downtime, spend some time with uh, friends and, and, uh, and family, and still playing a bit of Flesh and Blood, still doing a bit of testing. So most evenings I do get in my sort of my hour of training, you know, it's like going to the gym, but it's the flesh and blood gym in my very office here. So yeah, got into a draft last night as well, which is awesome. Trying to find drafts twice a week if I can around locally. Um, not always easy depending on like distance as well. Sydney's a big place, but did get in a draft last night, had a broken Icelander deck and uh, had a lot of fun, but otherwise no, a bit of a quieter week. I've got one more road to nationals happening 
next weekend, so not this coming weekend. Next weekend will be the last one, and it's a draft one. So looking forward to that. Uh, I played one CC, and it'll be two drafts. So yeah, it's been a, it's been fun. It's it's great seeing uh, with locals at the moment as well. Obviously, people chasing some of that XP to get that nationals qualification. Armories are pretty buzzing at the moment as well, which is, is good to see. That's crazy. That that's it's so funny because that's literally the opposite of what my experience was. I uh, I have not had the opportunity to do drafts. Um, and I actually traveled, like, uh, I spent about an hour plus in the car to go to a draft that didn't fire. Um, so that's interesting that it's, it's notably picked up on your end where I haven't seen it yet on my end. I have been able to curate some private groups with just locals and, uh, meet up there and do some drafts, but yeah, I guess it's not, it would, I'm not saying that this is across the board either, or even it applies to like all the other stores, the other days of their drafts. Cause I am a bit unplugged, but I was surprised to see, um, on that weekend with these road to nationals looming, nothing conflicting to not see people there. I wonder if it's um, one thing that has been done quite well, I think by the community in Australia is discussion with the stores and sort of some of the, I guess more, what would you call them? Like I guess senior players in those areas, you know, the players who help organize community and uh, events and and promote and stuff like that to make sure that the road to nationals don't clash. Uh, You know, we've got, a lot of road to nationals on different weekends, different stores, even communicating with each other. And I think leading into that is uh, stores changing their armories to be the formats that match as well. So I think they're trying to, they're just working together. And I think that's helping a lot of local players and, and even, you know, of course, helps the stores as well. Uh, if they're all working together, actually, it ends up helping. You just get more more players through the door for those road to nationals if they're not clashing. Um, I do wonder, I, I, I do wonder if it's a little bit <clears throat> anecdotal for me at a couple of stores. Um, you know, weekends are busy right now, you know, with Road to Nationals, so maybe players aren't coming out to armories maybe as much as I think because of, of uh, Road to Nationals on the weekends. Maybe they're setting the time aside. Weekly Flesh and Blood is Road to Nationals right now. But yeah, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, especially for a, a core group of players out there who are maybe trying to get those last few points of XP or whatever it might be that certain armories seem to be a bit busier. So um, yeah, again, anecdotally, I'm actually not at these events. I'm just hearing it. So. <laughs> well, that's it. I was at the draft last night though, so. Well, anyway, why don't you take us into the into the news on that? Yeah, <clears throat> biggest one to start with, Brendan. Uh, we have some details for nationals, not all, but we do have worlds. We have a confirmation for worlds happening fourth to the sixth of November in San Jose, California, hosted by Channel Fireball, with more details to come. So we have a date, we have a location, um, and we know who's going to be running the event. It's good to finally have this. Uh, won't dive into that kind of side of it too much, Brendan, but obviously, really good news. We'll get into that in the main topic. And this is fed into by national championships, which are taking place September 10th to 25th. 38 countries. Uh, we've got a mix of open and invite-only events, which if you go to flesh and blood, fabtcg.com, LSS's mothership website, you can see what events are happening in your country for nationals, whether they're open invite, whether there's, so there's a mix of class constructed only and class constructed and draft. Majority of the uh, invite-only events are a CC and draft. I think the biggest sort of countries that have those higher caps, uh, bigger events, two-day events. And then summer one day CC events. So you can go and check all those out. Uh, all dates and venues are not yet confirmed, which is, I guess, a little bit of a concern considering the fact that we are less than, what, now, less than two months out from the start of nationals. Uh, but it looks like we're probably going to get those in the next few days. But, Brendan, uh, US nationals is confirmed 23rd to the 25th of September. Looks like we're going to get a calling at the same time, hosted by Star City Games in North Carolina. Uh, so, you know, for you US based players, you now know when and where your nationals is going to be. Um, I mean, we're going to talk a bit about scheduling, I think, Brenda, but any kind of top thoughts on finally getting some world's info, some nationals info? How are you feeling? 
Well, I can't say that I'm upset to get info, but this is the most upset I've ever been with Legend Story Studios. Uh, literally since I started playing the game, I waited a very, very long time to book my, uh, my trip to Europe and to coordinate additional time off, not really for myself, but uh, for my partner and sort of finally and take like a, a Europe a Europe trip. I'm done. Uh, I mean, as part I'm, of PT Lil, right? Yes, as part of PT Lil. Uh, going into like the first of October or the first week of October. And um, yeah, that's that's a conflict. Um, and after this, the real trouble is not really me. It's It's more my partner with the time off and all the logistics that went into that. And nationals was not announced <laughs> um was not announced soon enough this is not enough notice especially after europe occurring so soon i know it's potentially even worse for some other people who have it on that first weekend of september um but yeah it's uh it's unfortunate so i have to sort of reevaluate and figure out what my uh what my capabilities will look like for u.s nationals i might not be playing mm -hmm. yeah uh again that's something that i do want to discuss more in depth is kind of because we've got a few more events to come this year some more announcements um even to the point where we've got battle hardens for october uh i know this weekend we've got los angeles and toronto happening and then we do also have in october minneapolis and denver so two more battle hardens um i mean i think with these events obviously you know we're kind of similar time actually we, i mean we get longer lead time information for the battle hardens uh but you know if you are in those areas you can Go and check out those battle hardens. I'm not sure the formats for those. I think might be class constructed for both of them, uh, but you can go and check that out on fabtcg.com. As I say, all right, Brennan, uh, any updates on the Flesh and Blood Fitness Challenge, the Wellness Challenge for July? Nearly halfway, chug it along. Um, the Arsenal Pass Patreon has been incredible. The uh, The amount of communication and sort of uh, like just the community that's going on inside that Discord for the Fab Fitness Challenge is ridiculous it's kept up a lot of steam as we head into week two here which is incredible we've had you know calls together which we'll doing be doing more of um i think we'll have another one this week we'll just hop on talk about sort of what we're doing our goals what's challenging and then just like i don't know kind of just hang out <laughs> and talk we were we were in there for about like an hour and a half uh was it like yeah. five six days ago it was really cool um but yeah, it's it's been great so far. We're reaching sort of this pinnacle point, right? About halfway. This is when it should feel the worst um, and motivation should wane. And anybody who's making it through right now is going to have a pretty easy time finishing in my in my opinion. But it's been great. Yeah, and uh, hearing around the community as well, a lot of other discords for some of the content creators who have jumped on board. I know Flake with Instant Speed, uh, Tech Action Podcast with Taylor and Isaac, a lot of sort of um, community spirit and support going on within those sort of discords as well, which is awesome to hear. And of course, on Twitter. So yeah, good stuff, Ren. It seems to be going really well. And obviously, some real big changes for, for some. And yeah, just the support people are giving and I guess receiving has is, is been awesome to see. Um, do want to give a bit of a, a Patreon call out. A big thanks to all of our patrons, as always. Thank you for everything you you let us do. Uh, we do have a Viscerai Deck Tech that went up last week in a cyborg guide uh, for apparently a controversial uh, belittlementism <laughs> Viscerai Deck, which is dividing some of the community, which is great to see. Love to see it and uh, be involved in some of the discourse. Uh, of course, we do also have our monthly pods up there. We do additional content there, and um, we sometimes, from time to time, do vod reviews, etc. As well. And Brendan, I know you've got a couple of uh, deck techs coming up as well with some community superstars and some cyborg guys that I think will be attached to those 
yep, guides so, as per usual. Oh, sorry, so, as those dick pics as per usual. Yeah, so I have one with Tarek this week, and then the next guest is T uh, to be announced. Um, he will do. Uh, he will write us an additional piece for Patreon. So if you are a part of the Arsenal Pass Patreon, you will get to see, you know, that sideboard guide, and it's going to be a little bit of um, just general deck tech, deck tech, deck tips um, on there as the, well. The, the dick guide, right? Cyborg guide, dick guide. Cyborg guide, deck tide, oh, deck tips, you know, on and on. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a Tarek. We're going to be doing Phi, um, and I will also be playing Phi against Hayden in a gameplay this week. Um, I think we're going to try to knock out Briar as well. Uh, I just want to mention real quick, because on the note of that, you're, you're going to be playing Viscerai against me, but I've actually locked my deck for Worlds. Um, it's actually a Viscerai deck without the little minimalism. Um, so I have to thank you for, for you know getting everybody on that card, but... The truth is, is the real Viscera deck just doesn't run now. Obviously, all jokes. Uh, we've had some funny, some funny feedback and funny divide and some good memes going around. Love it. I'm always loving to see it. It's been, <laughs> it's been some good banter, even on the Flesh and Blood fan page on Facebook. Um, do just last sort of a couple of things to talk about in the news. Uh, we have a playmat giveaway. So I was uh, given a couple of playmats by. One of my favorite stores in New Zealand, uh, Dice Jar Games down in Dunedin, who run am amazing community events. Uh, they've provided me with a couple of these really cool Lexi playmats. I don't have it with me, actually. But uh, if you want to win one of those, and uh, I'll put I'll post a picture up on Twitter or something so you can see it. If you want to win one of those and some uh, Heralds, some Extended Art Heralds, uh, then I want to hear your flesh and blood hot takes. Actually, me and Brendan both want to hear them. So drop in the comments after you hear this episode and the YouTube comments. Give us one of your sort of flesh and blood hot takes, maybe for the future or, or things that uh, that you think about the game. And uh, we're gonna I'm gonna read out my favorite next week and uh, send that out to you. And then two more things. I have a question for you, Brendan. Before that, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Fabled Academy. I see that we're coming up in a in, in an upcoming feature uh, from Fabled Academy, Brendan. That's coming up. And uh, if you haven't already, go check out Fabled Academy. What Alex does, and there's a really cool interview with Pro Tour number one winner Pablo Pintor. But Brendan. We've got to, before we leave the news and hint to the commander cookout, I've got my own question for you. What are your thoughts on Shredgate? It's all the talk in the community, Brendan. Um, on what? On Shredgate, you know, on the, the golden tunic shredding on Shredgate. Shredgate. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm just not hip with the kids. I didn't get that, but I did see the video. Um, what do I think That's about my it? Point. I'm calling that term. <laughs> yeah. I love how you thought I would just pick that up. Um, well, I thought they already did that, to be fair, because I remember when Sasha won his tunic uh, back in like 2019, they sent him a bunch of shredded tunics. There's a video on on, uh, on Facebook and stuff. So I actually thought they'd all been shredded, but I guess this is another uh, confirmation and show to the public that tunics are um, done. Well, I thought they were done already. So maybe they're just lowering in supply further. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's good. Right, is there... I mean, they said it was going to be the last time they gave out tunics. They're shredding all the tunics. Um, seems pretty congruent, but I saw I saw some funny memes on Twitter, but I think some people are a bit uh, a bit spiced up about this. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of <laughs> divide. I think, to my understanding, right, is the, yeah, the packing peanuts sort of uh, box opening that Sasha got back in the day was, I think, all the remaining tunics they hadn't planned to give out. I think things changed in terms of obviously event structure and callings that could happen <clears throat> and then so they announced that they were going to obviously have the transition with the the crown of providence coming in and tunics the last tunic to be given out was at uh, i guess it was the the calling in taiwan right i guess it was or new jersey so there was that and then i guess they had some left over as 
what was meant to be kind of happening through that period. <clears throat> but they've stuck to the word. They've gotten rid of those, as they said. And, you know, they posted a bit of a, I guess, a tongue-in-cheek video about it. Um, obviously, that kind of led to some interesting feedback from mostly people involved in other communities, I think is my understanding from what I saw on Twitter. Uh, um, you know, another game that we won't talk about. But I think that kind of ruffled some feathers and there was a bit of, uh, I guess, friction between certain groups of communities, whether it be in Flesh and Blood, between Flesh and Blood, into communities, things like that. So, um, yeah, it was just interesting to see. I think, look, I just wanted to kind of ask your take, and I guess you kind of have a similar take to me, is that uh, Flesh and Blood and Alice said they would always do this, that they would stick to this printing policy of these uh, promotional winner and top eight, I guess, uh, gold foils, and, and that's what they've done. And I think it has nothing to do with scarcity of tunics or anything like that this is a, a prize winning card right so uh, i will say i will preach a bit of uh, kindness and understanding maybe for you know communities that don't understand this it, you know if you see a card like tunic and you see people shredding it and it can maybe lead to some questions but that's where we can help educate some people and just let them know what these cards actually were or you know whatever it might be and um yeah i think <laughs> it's just funny to be honest some so, of the uh, people the thought they were lowering the uh lowering the available supply for players with gold yeah tunics. Which is definitely not happening. It's not. It was always scheduled to be those, and it has nothing to do with the tunics that you play with on a regular basis. But yeah, I just thought if people hadn't seen it already, uh, it's been an interesting discourse. Maybe people aren't connected to the the flesh and blood Twitter and wanted to know about this kind of shred gate, as I'm coining it, Brendan. And uh, I've probably stolen that name from someone else. I probably saw it subconsciously on Twitter. So if I stole it from you, I apologize. But anyway, come on, a cookout. Come off. Yeah, Commander Cookout. I mean, speaking of the spice, let's throw it on the Barbie. Let's get that. Uh, let's get that sear going. And Hayden, I know you've got a good question this week. Uh, might be a bit of a hard one, though. Yeah, I, I think this is a great question. It comes from Matt Murdoch, eighty-four, uh, the Daredevil himself, apparently, on our Discord. And uh, Matt says, "I'd like to know, in general, in a general sense, what it takes to seriously compete in Flesh and Blood." Many like myself have kids and other hobbies, but want to succeed at a competitive level. What kind of tactics and or time sync should be expected to um, elevate one's game? What is your team and community doing on a weekly basis to stay competitive nationally? A loose testing, a loose testing slash training schedule would be great. Mm. This is a, yeah, it's not the easiest question to answer, right? And I thought, I thought about this, Brendan, actually. I went in a way and you were going to answer this on the Commander Cooker and I wanted to make some sort of pointed notes about this and, and just really give some, I guess, some honest answers about this um, because I think people really want to know this kind of question. It's a question that always comes up, right? And I think the answer is not the same for any one person, but I thought, you know, Matt's asked pretty pointedly about what, what we do. So um, my, my first thing I want to answer is, and because I, I didn't give time to Brendan to answer this question, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit and then let Brendan sort of riff off that. But in the sense of what it takes to seriously compete in Flesh and Blood, the, the first thing I'll say, in all honesty, is it does take some raw talent, I think. Some understanding of TCGs at a deeper level and understanding of the fundamentals of Flesh and Blood at a deeper level. And I think you can see this with some of the players that have come through, is that uh, they might not be able to articulate to you the fundamentals of Flesh and Blood, but they do understand it. And I think you can make up for raw talent. You can make up for it with a lot of hard work to, to learn these fundamentals, to really ingrain these in, in the way you think. Uh, it does take a lot of time. And I think you have to understand where you sit on that kind of, do I just have this raw talent and understanding or do I need to work even harder for it? And that's really going to, you talked about time time sinks, Matt. That's really going to dictate the time that you need to spend. Um, kind of my other note as well is that you, when it comes to time, you've got to use your time as efficiently as possible uh, that you set aside for the game really focus testing uh choosing what events are going to give you the biggest return to play 
Uh, if you want to be competitive and you really want to excel your game, the sad reality, I guess it's sad. I wouldn't say it's sad. I think because you can you can still make time for these things. But a reality is that armories probably aren't the best use of your time to level up your game, to, to be honest, if you're trying to get to that you know, ultra competitive level. Armories are a great place to uh, to run games, to interact with the community, to spend time playing some awesome and fun and amazing games and formats. But in terms of, I guess, best use of time, an armory probably realistically isn't going to be that because you play three rounds in a, of class constructed in a three, three and a half hour time space that you could probably play in 60 to, to 90 minutes um, with, with say, a testing partner or something. So it is important to, I think, recognize the time spent and where you're using that time. For, for me personally, I still want to play armories because I find them a lot of fun, but they're not where I'm getting in my testing and, and my games. And I, I know Brennan's the same. Um, what we do, just quickly, Brennan, as well. So how do we kind of, you know, Matt said, how do we, uh, I guess, stay at the kind of cutting edge? How do we do it as a team community on a weekly basis um, to stay competitive? We share a lot of info. So a lot of like a lot of discussions and kind of back and forth messages about things we're finding to, to share that info with each other. And there's not necessarily a big group of us, but we'll also share between between people. I talk to a lot of people about the game, you know, just, just casually, um, friends or, or acquaintances, people I've met through the game, people in our community. And that also gives me a lot of information. Uh, we discuss, of course, we, we play focus games, like I said, testing to find things out specifically. And this is probably the biggest takeaway that I can give is that anytime I sit down for testing, so you talk about time spent, I probably spend less than eight hours a week playing Flesh and Blood, but when I sit down with whoever I'm testing with, usually with, with Damakai, uh, we have a question to answer. We come in for an hour session on an evening, hour and a half, whatever it is, and we have a question to answer. We have two questions to answer, and we can run three, five, six games pretty quickly and try and answer these questions pointedly and directly, and that gives us a lot of information. Um, and to, you can always take advantage of, I guess, learning something from that, which is, is really important. That may be my biggest takeaway. And then, yeah, that's probably the main ones for me, Brendan, the kind of things I wanted to write down and answer to Matt's question, I think. The way you spend your time is just so, so important if you want to sort of advance to that high level of competitive play. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, the way I would have answered this question initially is just like, it depends. <laughs> depends on your. I did say that. I did yeah. say at the start, it depends on each individual. Yeah, it depends like what you mean by competitive and how, how good you're trying to be. I think to be competitive, that's a very, very attainable achievement. To be the world champion... Mm, less so right uh i think in a game like flesh and blood and probably in most games it's not going to happen by accident and a lot of it really boils down to hard work which also a key very key variable in that equation is time um so we test like i said we do have pretty strict testing it's regimented testing it's uh not that much uh, at least during these sort of lull periods it'll be like one hour a day uh maybe take weekends off and then um once we get closer to the event, we'll ramp up and do, you know, the 10 to 14 hour days, which is honestly not by design. It just happens, be, it happens to be like that because we end up sort of flustering to break the meta or just kind of reinvent the wheel a million times. So on time-wise, I think it's it's not crazy. It's hard to implement if you have a normal life. I think even one hour a night can be pretty tough. Um, but the way we go about testing is really important. It's very focused. There's a question and... We genuinely don't do it to have fun. Um, like a lot of things that can creep up in these these testing sessions and things like that is like people can be playing to win. Um, they can just be kind of tuned out while they're playing, right? They might be playing the gauntlet deck. They might be playing something that's straightforward and you're testing the bruise into it. I think it's really important that everybody in the group is sort of participating with 100% because that's how you're going to get things out of it. 
um, in terms of sharing information, we do have a we do have like a Discord where we share information. But honestly, that's that's not even where most of our stuff goes. We actually started implementing like strategy calls where we'll get on with the entire team. Um, we try to do like once a week, at least when we start to get about one month out, um, and actually talk it over so we don't have incongruent perceptions about the meta, which happened a lot in the past. So this is what we implemented to fix that. Um, so that's it for us. It is it is work to be honest. There's a lot of times that testing rolls around. I don't want to, I don't want to be testing. I want to be doing something else. And I just, it's just what I do. Like I'm there, I show up and we get it done and we just do that every single day. And that's sort of, I don't know. I, I assume that if I put in that work and if I maintain my schedule and maintain discipline and I surround myself with extremely talented players, which I think is like a massive part of it, like way bigger than creating a, uh, a regimented schedule like this. If you, you want to find people that can elevate you and help you get better. But if you get all those things together, I think that through these processes, if you trust them, um, pretty much anything is attainable. Yeah. I mean, actually a good point. I didn't, didn't uh, have that one down in my notes, but I do agree. It's like, not only is it the focus testing time, it's the, the players that I guess you're using that with. And playing to win is not a thing in testing, right? Like you're mm-hmm. playing to find out answers. You're not playing to win. I think that's such a good call out. Um, you know, it's not even about playing perfectly during testing. It's about using them and maximizing your time. You know, if you spend 15% extra, 20% extra on, you know, a play every second turn to try and maximize things, sometimes that might be justifiable for trying to find out optimal lines of play. But often when you're trying to discover and answer certain questions that have nothing to do with sequencing or certain parts of that matchup, uh, that's just a kind of waste of time. So it's a, a really good call out actually, Brendan. I hadn't really thought about that one. But yeah, I mean, like you say, it's going to depend. I gave, a, we both kind of gave perspectives of from our point of view. And um, I thought about just lastly as well, maybe Matt, depending on what your goals are uh, personally, if it's say it's winning a road to nationals, it's uh, qualifying for nationals, it's winning a, a pro quest to make it to the pro tour. I, I do think like Brendan says, you know, the the time spent is maybe not as as much you might not spend as much time but you you do still need to do these things i think where you really focus your time and, and efforts because you want to spend less time than the the, pe- the people with the players next to you that you're playing at these events or players across from you but make the most of it and, and sort of gain the biggest advantage you can with um i guess the least amount of investment possible and and that is kind of i guess a lot of the ethos of what tcg players at competitive levels will try and do yeah. And there's one thing in terms of time is that it's uh, the reason that we can do that, the reason why we can do the one hour a day, which is actually, it's it's a lot, uh, I think, compared to other testing groups, is because we already spent the time. Um, like there is, if you're starting from zero or a very kind of base level, there is going to be a lot of upfront learning. And then you can get to sort of a maintenance phase where you you know sort of what your macro plans are on how to attack a format and you implement processes and you trust those processes and you just let them run their course. But yeah, in the beginning, it's, uh, I mean, there's a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you trust as well the the information coming at you. You know, if if you say something or Dan says something, then I'm probably most of the time going to take it as as gospel because you know there's the trust there that the process that we're all using is the same process. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Brendan, uh, great great question from Matt um, Matt Murdoch eighty four on our Discord. Thank you. If you do want to get your questions and you can get them in on our community Discord, you can also drop them in the YouTube comments below. Let us know it's a command and cookout question. Uh, you can send them to us on Twitter, DM us, however you want to get them in. Uh, please do so. Give them to a Brendan at Rhodes Nationals this weekend in Oklahoma or in Dallas. And uh, yeah, we thank you for your questions. You can also email them to us at arsenalpassfab at gmail. 
Com. And of course, just a quick reminder about the uh, giveaway for next week for your hot takes before we get into the main topic, which is flesh and blood hot takes from your Arsenal Pass hosts, myself, Hayden, and Brendan. I think we've got we've got a few each. As I say, we've come in blind with these, uh, but I think we just start with the one that is going to be overlap, Brendan, because we we already kind of talked about it at the top of the show in the news. Uh, I'll share my kind of, I guess, my statement or my take, I guess, and then I want to hear yours as it's slightly different to mine. And then let's have a conversation about it. Let's dig into it. So mine starts with LSS need to take a better approach to scheduling. I know it's been COVID times and especially this first six months of this year has been super impacted by delays and things trickling over from last year. But a lot of people will not be playing in the nationals this year because dates haven't yet been announced or they've only just been announced. And we're five weeks out from people traveling to Lille to play in the Pro Tour. I know a lot of people are booked uh, and having, you know, an 11 to 12 day gap between the end of Pro Tour Lil and the start of Nationals is just going to be absolutely crazy. And on such short notice, people people have already booked trips. Um, if LSS want the the game to grow and players to be able to, I guess, compete and and schedule these events and be at these events and the best players and even just just make the most of these events, they need to do a better job of the scheduling. And I think the first point for me that, that starts with is announcing the first half of next year's events before the end of the year. And in fact as soon as possible i think the, to make these decisions that players need to make especially when let's be honest the the support and to, you know people aren't making money from playing these games competitively right like they might make a bit of money here and there but you've got to you've got to win or or make a finals or a top four of a pro tour to be able to make money you know people are doing this for the passion and the love and uh we we need a bit more scheduling information on alice's side to to make this a reality hard to hard to take it serious when they when they do this um yeah it's 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 unprofessional kind of period uh there's not much more to that we do need more we do need much more notice if possible but it's is it going to affect the bottom line of players flesh and blood i don't know it's all going to be sort of a a a secondary or tertiary effect from the from the, the the potential consequence of this which is that your professional play and the players that participate in that cannot do so effectively right and they start to lose interest and it's just it just kind of becomes a joke which is not what they want you're going to pour in all this money all this design and a lot of and uh, planning into this uh this op system but then you're gonna put you're gonna do like less than less than eight weeks or less than nine week sort of announcements on major things like nationals and it's tough. Like we didn't even have the venue or the um, the era in France for the Pro Tour for the longest time. It's really really tough. And then you couple that with economic factors as well, which is like uh, flight cri- flight uh, flight prices are raising are rising kind of drastically. And if you're not able to book in advance, it gets really expensive. So. I just like, I understand that it's, it's easier on the studio to tell us later rather than tell us earlier. And there's a lot that goes into that. that, And you're right. We probably don't fully understand. Doesn't matter to an extent, right? Like we need, like I'm, I'm telling you and Hayden's telling you, we need this. We need better scheduling for someone like me, right? I have the, I have a schedule, which allows me to travel like that. Uh, I can sort of flexibly move around my work hours. Like I have a very idyllic lifestyle for, for this kind of stuff. Even I'm struggling now. I can't imagine for people that have normal nine to fives, dependents, like families and just et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's so tough, man. Um, it, it obviously needs to change. No one is in favor of the current system versus the potential 
other system, which would be more notice, more advanced. So the ball's really in Legend Story Studios court to, um, to fix this. And I think it's really important. And if they want their, their OP system and their professional play system to be taken seriously, it needs to be done now. Yeah, it's integrity, I think, is where it comes down to. And look, I wanted to start with some pretty harsh words. I think we're generally pretty positive. We've talked about this issue before, and we've we've given the benefit of the doubt to Legend Story Studios. And let's let's weigh up the the, the flip side of it, right? The studio has been dealing with so many disruptions, you know, contract things with venues, with trying to schedule these events to make it possible to, you know, the point where, to be honest, with a lot of national venues, they might not even be confirmed at this stage, right, with the, uh, the vendors that they're using to run these events. And completely understand that right and i do want to put that side of the i guess the the conversation out there so that people do understand but i'm going to be pretty blunt about it i think at this point and you know we're not often that critical uh some you know this needs to, to change for next year the, the integrity of the the event structure the ability to motivate and give people the ability to like brendan says <clears throat> people that have other commitments other obligations uh let's be honest there is very few, if any, people or players out there playing this game full time. It's just not serviceable at this stage, right? We're not at a level where, say, Magic: The Gathering was in their, you know, the hey heydays of their pro tour, or you know, other games out there, esports, etc. So, I think that needs to massively come into consideration that this is a hobby for most people, but one that they want to play competitively, want to be the best in the world, and want to, you know, be at these events. Even if people don't want to be the best in the world, they want to be at these events. You know, people want to go there to experience what it's like to be at a calling, to be at a pro tour, to uh, enjoy the atmosphere, to see, you know, the artists, to see the cosplayers, to see all these different things that are happening at these events as well. And realistically, on the current time frame we're working on, it's really difficult, especially when you've got to hop around the world to get to events, you know, within 11, 12, 13 days of each other. Um, it's It's pretty crazy. So where we stand right now, we don't even have confirmed dates for a lot of national championships and but we do know a lot of national championships or at least some are going to be happening less than two weeks after pro tour lil uh which is going to mean that unfortunately people aren't going to be able to play in some of these national championships either they're they're not going to be in country because you know either they've taken an extra week or two post their trip in lil which rightfully so make the most of it you don't want to do it before the pro tour when you're preparing probably want to do it afterwards makes sense i know i'm doing that personally mm -hmm. uh don't know where my national championship is going to be but it's looking pretty dicey for me to play mine unfortunately is what it is i guess uh but then outside of that you know just financial and um you know commitments okay we're two weeks after pro tour we're back in country and even if you're in europe right even if you're say within france maybe potentially i've got other commitments now at the stage because we're less than seven weeks away from the start of nationals i you know, financially committing to another event so soon after is really difficult on such short notice. All these different things start to add up. Um, so, look, I, I think a lot of it's probably something that I haven't seen talked about as maybe as much as I thought it would have been as, as the short notice. So I know we've talked about it in the past. I know we've had some some community members, especially well-known community members, be really outspoken about it. And I've kind of gone on the side of, hey, look, let's give Legend Story Studios the benefit of the doubt here to to really work this out. But um, I think we need some communication from them now about where they expect lead times to be even if it's just expectations like how what are the lead times they expect to have going into 2023 for organized play um, because i think the players expectations is that at minimum it needs to be more and it needs to be clearer and better uh, and i mean that's the bare minimum i think we need an announcement of of calendars and seasons really to be able to do this properly yeah um it's just one of the, this is one of those things where uh, there's just not a lot of gray area to to sort of my take on this um it, it just needs to change uh needs to be fixed and i think that everyone would actually benefit um despite how hard it is because i know that if it doesn't change the op and the professional play of this game 
will suffer drastically, like drastically. <laughs> I just, uh, it's getting to a point where like, even I might not be able to play. Like that's ridiculous. Um, uh, the, the amount, like, like I said, the schedule that I'm able to sort of work with to go to some of these events is just very atypical. And if they're giving me like, uh, you know, this much notice, like in Europe, like we talked about this at the top of Shohei, I waited so freaking long to book those flights and they're probably $800 more a piece expensive because I waited so long and I still missed it. I still missed it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, uh, last thing I want to say is don't get me wrong. I'm super thrilled with what we have had this year in terms of organized play events. It's some of the best events I've been to. I've had the best time. You know, I've really enjoyed myself. I'm loving playing flesh and blood and traveling to these events and i'd love to do it next year and what legend story studios and the team there and the organized play team have built already i can only uh, congratulate them on what they've done but uh yeah a lot of work still to go and i hope this can be taken as i guess you know feedback if, if the team does hear it because like i say great job so far but uh, a long way to go i think to make sure that we continue to sustain what has already been built and build upon an amazing system uh that that is coming through from legend story studios so with that said, Brennan, should we, should we turn to something a little bit more positive? I'm not sure if you've got uh, a take you want to go to next. Otherwise, I can spill something out that's maybe a little bit more positive, I guess, at least. <laughs> I have one that is, uh, I want to hear your, turf, your take first. It's a bit of a discussion. Um, and sure. I'm, I'm a little, I've been a little, bit, uh, a little bit sort of far away from this, so it hasn't affected me. But I want to ask you as sort of like a, a, I don't know, a retrospective. Was the change to ELO good? So that is ELO affecting Battle Hardens, Road to Nationals, and ProQuests. Was that a good change? Uh, yeah. My take is yes, it is a good change. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's still hard to say, right? Because we're still not in a, a, a time where we're using ELO. But it does seem like, teething the issues aside in terms of you know the time periods of them doing updates and things like that, it does seem like this is giving some sort of i guess this grassroots feel to these games and to these events and, and giving people you know incentive i think to, to show up and and to and to try um you know what i said yes i'm actually i'm gonna say i'm unsure still because the i just think about i just thought about the positives but then i also think about some negatives still with maybe you know players that don't need to be playing events playing them but i guess they're discouraged from playing them so it's it's really tough i think more events that can generate and build this elo system at an early stage should be a good thing in theory because we need to get to a point where it, it matters and it, it becomes a consequence for uh for event invitations for showing us who consistently the best players are in the world um but callings and pro tours into the, the day with the higher k values are the ones that are going to shift the leaderboard significantly what the lower events are going to do like these 6k events and you know was it 8k and 16k uh these events at ProQuest quest nationals level what these are going to do is they're going to give um some some really good sort of like gauge for players who are trying to come up through the competitive ranks i think to you know to steal some elo from some good players to uh start to be you know recognized and maybe their top 10 top 15 of their country and i think that's a really good thing to see so yeah i'm i'm, I'm you know what I, i'm gonna say i think so far it's good there's a few things around it and i'll say i'm still a little unsure but leaning towards the positive side yeah so the core question is did the addition of elo to these events elevate the experience do nothing or lessen it i think for some players it's elevated and for others it's it's done nothing for the so it I seems like the vast majority it has done nothing um so that that's what's interesting and, but i haven't but there's, nothing, there's no depends, consequence yet right yeah it depends who you talk to and i haven't i haven't talked to enough people so i'm actually interested to hear to hear people hear people's take on this is if it elevated the experience did nothing or if it lessened it for me 
and I haven't been affected by it, but it does seem like there are some issues. I don't think the company has the infrastructure to like support ELO changing this often because they do this sort of batch updates. We've had a bunch of weird, funky stuff. Maybe they'll sort out the kinks, but the system was, it seems like it wasn't really designed. Um, to be doing this, uh, you know, we had like, the last update went so far back. I remember so heavily lagged updates. Um, and yeah, we'll see if that system can withstand, uh, I don't know, this kind of volume in perpetuity or if they fix it or whatever. But, uh, yeah, for me, it hasn't affected me much. I just thought it'd be interesting to go back and touch on it because it was a big change. Like I thought that this was a huge change when it happened. I was like, wow, that's massive. Not because the, e like the one onesie twosies of ELO that might be getting a change. It's just like from a from an ideological perspective, right? ELO was exchanged at professional level events, right? Events that were curated by uh, specific tournament organizers, you know, these big events with, uh, you know, a certain type of judge, you know, a judging structure, you know, the hedge judge, et cetera, et cetera. And like a very, very, uh, uh, very clear standard of quality control. And then when you extend that down, it sort of breaks that um, to an extent and not in the sense that it makes the system not work, but it's a very different ideology. I think it's a big deviation and that was something a lot of people didn't talk about. Uh, maybe because it doesn't matter, but it's a big change. I think from where they were looking at ELO and its purpose when they originally ideated it, I don't think that was actually in the books. I think it came later. I think they figured they would put it in at a later time. Um, Maybe, but that's where K-value comes into it, right? Which I think is a really important thing to, to take note of is that K-value. And, and, and they're allowed to adapt and change their sort of processes and, and ideologies, right? Which I, I think is a good thing. But my counter to that would be uh, K-value mitigates some of that. You know, you talked about the kind of the curation and these high-level events where K-value kind of plays into that. And also the introduction of competitive rules enforcement as a, you know, so you have professional, now we have competitive for Road to Nationals, ProQuest and day ones of callings. And then you have casual for armories and skirmish type level events. So anything that now has a K value attached to it for ELO changes in rating now comes into this competitive level or above. I think that's a really, I think actually that is the best change we've seen is the introduction of the competitive rules enforcement level because having Rhodes Nationals having ProQuest at a casual level made no sense. And I think Alice's have taken that on board and made a really good change with the competitive rules enforcement level. And I feel comfortable that uh elo can be attached to that at a lower value than it would be at a professional level event and still still have some integrity so i i think that's a good thing but until we actually see what this means you know what elo means other than just a bit of bragging rights it's it's really hard to say yes and i do agree though that the time frames of updates are something that needs to be looked at but I, i'm sure that's something that they obviously they're fully aware of it they posted an article about it that's a uh... Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. I kind of lost my track there, but so you, you said something pretty funny. Um, but what will ELO be used for? <laughs> Another kind of hot take that we won't dive into, but like, what the heck is this system that we've been kind of working with for so long? We'll see if it, if it applies to worlds. Um, but yeah, the ELO has been a funky, a funky little thing that flesh and blood has done for the past two years. Uh, but you know, maybe yeah. it will come, it will, maybe it will come into its, uh, come into its adulthood here in 2023. Adolescence. Yeah. I, I think probably the the studio could have been a little bit more clearer about what they wanted to do with it it's been a little bit kind of like secretive you know what's happening but james white has spoken about it a few times he's been questioned about it and uh his take i believe from the last interview he did with flake which is the last one i heard where he talked about elo was it is something we want to use to show you know who the best players are in the world it's the, something we want to use for future of i guess getting people to events as well and i can't remember the exact wording he used uh but basically it looks like we're going to get it for invites down the road i don't i don't even think worlds is going to be the time there's so many 
spear PTIs and stuff floating around. I think nationals and PTIs is going to be the way that you qualify for worlds. Um, and then next year we see maybe a revamp to the invite system. I, I think, you know, naturally XP needs to be done away with. So I, I think ELO is the, obviously the, the seems like to me, the obvious answer to the long-term sort of invites and, and structure of how you get to events through ranking, not through XP. Yeah. It's always funny that when you put, uh, when you put the adjective of obvious on something yeah I know. it's like a very, obvious to me Sorry. a very a very to... contentious subject it's like elo we should definitely get rid of elo it's obvious it's or sorry not elo but xp while i completely agree with you hayden i think that there's a lot of people listening to be like what do you mean that drives uh, armories and sales and etc uh, etc et <laughs> that's why it's a drop for me i think xp is a great way to qualify for nationals don't get me wrong uh pro tools on the other hand anyway not one of my hot takes for this time round. That wasn't that positive, <laughs> but I do have something that I want to share with you next, Brennan, which is uh, a take for me is that I think living legend in a non-rotating format is genius. And I think we're starting to reap the rewards of this, this system and this format. We've had a lot of teething issues with living legend. We're not even at a perfect stage with living legend. Do not get me wrong. And, and the way that I guess rotation quote unquote is going to work in this game, but I think the system is genius and I think the way that Legend Story Studios have built towards it, you know, finally after a few sort of hiccups is working really well. And I think the outcome of that is that we're seeing a really fresh meta, a really interesting meta game in Class Constructed that's going to lead us through into, well, first of all, Road to National Season has been super interesting, but then we're also going to have the Pro Tour, these Battle Hardens, and something might change between then, sure. Uh, but what I'm seeing so far is really really interests me also the fact that uprising isn't the biggest impact on this format so far yes it's been it's been good it's been great to have this new set we're seeing fire come out we're seeing dromai really start to to have a, a good week last week with people starting to figure out these decks but the change in the rotation with the living legend of these heroes chain and bravo style the show leaving the format has been the biggest change i think and i think most people would agree with me on that i think you'd agree with me on that brendan and i think that is down to the living legend system finally starting to take impact and take shape Interesting. Um, super funny, uh, funny little anecdote there about Uprising. I think I told the story on a past pod where someone asked me what I thought about Legend Stories printing under like less powerful cards. I was like, no, I say that because it's not a broken hero. <laughs> like every every single set, we've been a broken hero. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about this Living Legend Genius. So I actually totally disagree. Well, I do think that we're in a good we're in a good place right now, and I do think that the meta is in a good place. I think it's more happenstance. I think Living Legend is actually quite lazy and not thought out. It's very clearly th seen through the static values that don't scale with the player base whatsoever. And I also think that regardless of being in a currently healthy meta it's like very exciting and who knows what the best deck is going to be like before now living legend has sucked up until now um and I really said it didn't by the way yeah. okay but you said it was ingenious i don't think it's ingenious i think it's actually not 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 very uh there's not a very good design behind it it just happened to end up kind of good right now with paired with the release of uprising and rotating out bravo star of the show who is kind of terrible for the chain. game and chain right so because of that i do think that it has happened to give us a a nice meta but ultimately i do not like the system and i do not think that it there is very much intelligent design behind it that's not an insult by the way i'm just saying i don't think it's fully thought out uh and i don't think that this is the system that we're going to have for the future forever maybe they'll change the values so that they're dynamic but even then <sighs> I'm just skeptical. You don't think we'll have Living it. Legion down the road? You think Living I, Legion will I no do think we will. I just think it'll be different, right? I think it will be yeah, different. But... And at the very least, it's they're going to have to adjust how it happens, right? Because it doesn't work. 
Like, completely agree. Players well, go up, players go down. It, the system breaks both ways, right? That's the thing about static static values. It's like less people play the game, things don't living legend. More people play the game, th- things living legend too fast. I sorry, I thought I was quite clear about that. I don't think the uh, you know the actual the system itself, the way they've done. I said there's been a lot of teething hiccup, you know, hiccups and teething issues in the in the system. I think that the the way it's being enacted in terms of the system it's, itself, I don't think is you know there's a lot of work to be still done there we've talked about this before i agree it should be done i i think it should be done on a points based system for the total season when you get percentages assigned to those at the end basically to always ensure that you have a pretty consistent rate of of uh living legend points being assigned totally whether that depends on the scale or sorry the spread between heroes depending on how they perform then that's what you want but you know a general kind of consistent level of numbers and i think they're gonna have to they did mention that in an article that you know in terms of that mind to be looked at but what i I guess what i'm saying is this this having living legend having heroes reach living legend and a non-rotating uh format i think is the the core of it i think we're starting to see why that is such a good design ethos but you know i I can see if if you disagree then it's fine yes so the crux of my disagreement was with your use of ingenious like it was a it was a system designed to give us this meta and i think that that system has consistently kind of failed us it looks like it will fail us in the future and it has by happenstance created a perfect storm where we now have what looks to be an open and a healthy and a healthy meta where there's not in you know an overly dominant deck but i don't think that's a result of this being like an ingenious system right i think that it was kind i don't of- think the system is ingenious i think the design element of using living legend in a non-rotating format in this game is kind of the genius part of it and i think we're starting to see why that is going to work so well in the future yes the system itself and the way that it's enacted needs needs some work and, and will have to be because like you say uh, scaling and, and descaling of players impacts that massively as well as events, uh, especially for Blitz actually with, with Skirmish Season. Uh, but in terms of the actual ethos and design itself, I think is I think it's fantastic. I think we're already seeing why it can be fantastic. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Sure. All right. So my next one is, I guess we can go positive since we've been... I mean, I'm negative. waiting for you to go positive. <laughs> uh or we could go negative. No, I say, yeah, so my, I have one here. It's just like uh, the flesh and blood community is really incredible. And I'm actually surprised that it's maintained its purity for so long. I thought that potentially as more people entered the game that we would kind of degenerate specifically on social media platforms like Twitter. But it's like, it's ridiculous. I actually feel like the community has gotten better. And in the beginning, there was a lot of, uh, we had some, we had some loud voices that were overly negative and just wouldn't really give constructive feedback and uh, it, it felt very loud nowadays i almost don't hear it at all um that's i think that there's almost like a lack of critique sometimes when we talk about like you know the nas- your own mouth. yeah the nationals <laughs> dates and things like that it's like oh there's like i'm surprised i haven't seen people talking yeah. about like that am i the only one affected um so yeah the community is really awesome i think that people are super positive like it does actually feel like a community especially on twitter like fab twitter is just incredible um great way to connect if if you're not on there yet but uh yeah like i'm just i'm really surprised uh i've am pleasantly surprised and i think that it's going to maintain for the future forever i don't know but i think we've shown we've gotten over that hump right we had a great community to start out we got a bunch of new players and then rather it becoming negative it just sort of matured a bit and stayed the same awesome community that we've had since the beginning so i don't know i'm just really proud it makes me 
it makes me happy to play this game. Like I've had great experiences. Like the social experience of Flesh and Blood has started to. I mean, I think that that's that's honestly why I play the game at this point. Um, it's just it's totally changed my life. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, the community's been amazing. The experience at events because of the community is amazing. Like purely, like the game is fantastic, obviously, but what builds up and everything around it is the community. I'll play devil's advocate a little bit, Brendan, on this, is that I do have a little bit of a fear and a worry that we've, you know, as a community, shunned out some constructive criticism a little bit too hard. Um, And what I mean by this is I think, you know, I think there is a really big difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism, which, you know, feedback effectively versus just pure criticism, uh, which we've we've kind of seen i think and, and the community's done a good job of recognizing that and and rewarding those for i think you know having thoughts that are going to help the long term of the game the community but i do agree with you like you said it at the start a little bit when we're seeing less and less of that right and i i hope that we don't it's not because we're shunning those people who have you know good views and i think of someone i'm just gonna give it you know i hope they don't mind me naming them but i think of someone of, uh, like Rude, right who has i think some some really strong takes on the game some that i disagree with some that i agree with but i think the way that uh that he approaches sharing his feelings and ideas on the game is like a really good way to do it you know he's not attacking anyone he's just stating the way he feels about things and i think that's a, a good thing and i hope we continue to get that kind of feedback and those sort of feedback loops from the community um, but I do agree, like the kind of the stuff that we had at the start, uh, where it just wasn't healthy is, is gone away, which is I think a good thing, <laughs> but I would like to see, you know, like you say, that constructive criticism stay around and the feedback loops be there. Oh, worst case scenario, we'll be here just to dunk on them in the new Brendan's section. Here, don't worry guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. No, that's a, that's a good one. I think shout out to the flesh and blood community. You guys are amazing. Shout out to the Arsenal Pass community as well. You're all amazing. Um, all right. My next take is I got a two-parter for you. Sealed flesh and blood sucks. <laughs> <laughs> now it does. Uh, yeah, I really like Welcome to Wraith Sealed. Uh, the last few sets have not been good from a sealed perspective, I think. And Legend Story Studios have kind of abandoned it a little bit to me, it seems. And I think you can see this through how they're pushing draft events, which I think is a great solution to be able to make sure that the limited game is there and is lively, uh, but we don't have to suffer through a sealed format. Uh, that isn't isn't the best, unfortunately. But I do think my second part of this is that I think limited will become the most important part of growing flesh and blood at an entry level to both a kind of uh, semi casual, semi competitive, and competitive level of play. And this will require work from Legend Story Studios on balancing the sealed gameplay of the sets because I don't think you can continue to easily like I, I'm the draft implementation, drafted events, skirmishes, road to national stuff is fantastic. But sealed is also more accessible by, by nature, right? You don't have to sit there and know the cards, have time pressure, have all this. You can sit there, build a, a sealed pool, change it around, try it like you would at a pre-release. And I think that gives a lot of opportunities for this entry level and sort of like entry into competitive level play. I think sealed is a really important aspect of limited and it's one that we can't really utilize right now, unfortunately, with the, the past two sets. I, I personally, I think not being good sealed formats. Um, so I think there's some work to do there. But yeah, I really do believe that Limited is kind of the way forward. I think Draft is freaking phenomenal in this game. And I hope, all I kind of hope now is that <clears throat> I guess the team can translate some of that into the sealed experience, maybe balance that out a little bit. And um, then I think you've got this fully fleshed out, really amazing Limited format that's going to drive the growth of the game. I mean, Limited, you know, 
selling product, uh, having limited events, introducing players to new sets. They get the cards through the sets. There's so many, I, I'm not going to list them all, but there's so many positives to limited formats and gameplay. And when you have a really good draft format, like we do, plus a good seal format, which I think we don't have, you know, you have this really kind of great ecosystem and, and harmony between the format and the, and the set that releases. And I think that we really need that going forward uh, to drive this game. It's a lot to unpack there. First one is sealed sucks, Hayden Dale. 2022. Um, the, the current format suck. I, yeah, I, yeah, give me yeah, welcome yeah, trade. Yeah, I'll play some sure. seal welcome trade. So it's fine. I slightly disagree with you. I think that the most recent sets have lacked a certain level of competitive integrity that I would have preferred. But the only set in flesh and blood that I think is worthy of that word suck is Arcane Rising uh, Sealed. The old freaking rune blade pile fatigue. It's so bad. Um, these sets, they're annoying. You know, like uh, it was kind of, it felt a bit, it definitely felt a bit forced Briary in, um, in Tales of Aria. And then we come to this format. Does it feel a bit fortify? Yeah, I guess. Oh, the decks also, they seem, a little, I don't know. It's just a little uninteresting to play things like Icelander sometimes I feel like in Sealed because, you know, either you get the resource base and the blues that you need or you don't. And like this Fi is just ultimately way easier to play than some of the other heroes. So I think that the competitive integrity of Sealed is not where I would want it to be. Like I like there to be more depth. Do I think that a, like newer players and casual players could pick up Uprising and have fun in Sealed? I think so. I don't think there's infinite depth to it, but I think so. Can they pick up Arcane Rising and have fun? It would be a struggle if they listened to the Session Blood podcast about how to put freaking 40 or so cards into your Runeblade deck and fatigue your opponent. Um, I remember that. It would, be a, it would be a struggle. So I will. I agree with you, but not quite to the level of suck on the casual base. I want to follow up with this, Hayden, though. Would you be willing to give away some of your draft happiness for shield happiness? You know, Would you give away percentage points of you know, yep. what you think of the draft? Yep, definitely. Because I think the draft format is phenomenal in Flesh and Blood. I think it works so well. I've loved the last two sets in terms of the three hero balance. I think Uprising is actually, you know, a great is for people who are trying to get into draft a great format for that because the the depth is there's still depth there, but there's a lot of surface level uh, that you can really take away with the draft format. I think, and you know, you can learn a lot of sort of like rules and create some like you know, as you like to say, Brendan, some heuristics pretty quickly with this format. So. I think that's really cool, but I would, you know, I would give away a bit of that. I mean, I would love us to, don't get me wrong, I think the depth of this format is not as much as Tales of Aria, but sort of the draft aspect of it is, is maybe a bit nicer. Um, but I'd love to, to you know, get back to some sealed. And you know what, I'll, I'll stick by my statement of it, if it sucks, and you can take that whatever way you want to take it. <clears throat> what we are going to get, though, Brendan, is we're going to get to, I guess, put what you just said to the test, is we're going to have a skirmish season which involves sealed. So... We're going to get some community reaction. We're going to see how that plays out <clears throat> post-pre-release with returning to Sealed and Uprising. Yeah. Um, interesting point to uh, the upcoming skirmish season. We'll, we'll talk about, might talk about this one later, but I do have a point about so this like, uh, just the evolution of Flesh and Blood competitive events and how we've gone from you know, skirmish being the premier to then route to nationals to callings. And you've sort of seen this like, I've seen le significantly less participation in each event as a higher tier one has come um, and the professional scene has been more fully fleshed out, but that could just be my region. So I'm interested to see how much, uh, what, what skirmish looks like. Maybe it's just more healthy, right? Like maybe like 50 people or 30 people for a skirmish isn't healthy and maybe it should be more around 20 players. But uh, there's one other, thing, one other thing I want to talk about there. You said that sealed and limited is important 
for the game's mm-hmm. sort of success in player acquisition, especially on the casual side. I do agree with you. Unless they figure out what the heck they're trying to do with UPF and make that format fun so that we can have a Commander-esque format. Um, I don't know. I still think Limits is important anyway. It is, it is, that. it is. But yeah. I think there's only way that that statement becomes wrong, and that's if there is like this you know, Commander-level casual format that people are really interested in. But outside of that, yes, I do not think that like Classic Constructed is a great introduction to Flesh and Blood. Listen, correct, maybe, is what you mean. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I, I, yeah, I think it's interesting. Anyway, Brennan, have you got, have you got anything for me? Yeah, so let's look down here. This one is a bit more philosophical. So I said, collecting is cool, but eventually your cards just become a, bo- a burden as you get mer- more and more. Do you still, do you, Hayden Dale, still enjoy your collection? Do you enjoy owning all the cards? Or does has it uh, has it become a hassle? Like a, like a, there's two very different. You've you've thrown out a very big statement, and you then you've asked me a question that I don't think has relevance to it. To be honest, because I'm not a collector. That's why I think I don't have relevance. I'm not a I'm not a collector. Uh, I've held on to a lot of cards uh, because partly because I'm lazy and I didn't want to move stuff yeah, or shift yeah. stuff. <laughs> uh, partly sentimental. I think even though I'm not a collector of like. The, the cold foil so the cold foil legendaries I've, I've held on to i wanted to keep those uh and a little bit you know there was a there was a financial incentive i think a little bit initially i think that's gone away as collecting in this game is obviously i mean collecting in tcgs and, and ccgs and just this whole kind of collectible market has obviously gone down which makes sense you know post-covid um <clears throat> but yeah do i find it a burden do i still enjoy it look i i like having all the cards for each set because i like to be able to <clears throat> play whatever i want whenever i want so i want to always have the full set uh but you know what i don't bother with foils i don't bother with the eas and all that kind of stuff uh the ones that open i i will generally keep but that goes back to my my first principle which is i'm a little bit lazy when it comes to liquidating uh sort of collectibles so you should see the amount of mats i have in my wardrobe Oof, but god y- yeah <laughs> don't even get me started Hundreds. But a good, good question. A good question, right? Like, I think the one thing I will say in a positive element compared to some other games is the set releases and the amount of product coming out is quite light compared to a lot of other games. I think it's really good for collecting. It makes it a lot easier, a lot more attainable. There's less crazy, you know, variations of different cards. Now you open one set, not unlimited, and first edition I think is good for that as well. So mm-hmm. overall, I think, yeah, some it might be for me personally, maybe it. It doesn't even become a burden to be honest, and I think collecting overall, I think I'm I'm kind of happy with how it is in this game. I I don't know. You have to talk to a collector to be honest. Yeah, I I think I lost my joy in collecting. Uh, I got a critical maximum of cards, and now it's like it's a lot of work to keep it all organized and it's accessible, true. so that we can now <laughs> use them for gameplay and use them for tournament and things like that. But the nail in the coffin for me and. People could disagree with me. I could be wrong, could be misguided, but this is actually what did it for me. All of the DQs as a result of marked cards and foils, uh, whether they're cold foils or regular foils, has made me have almost no interest in owning anything that is cool, pretty, or unique because I don't really play too many armories. I'm in a not a great area for it. I have a lot around me, but they're 30 to 45 minutes away, and it's just a long process, and I don't really have time for it at this point. So the foils that I could have, like, I'd have to have my deck completely foiled. I can't, like, you know, I can't do the thing where, like, I have some white borders in there just to kind of piss people off. Like, it, it's 
that that did it for me. Like now I just have to go, I have to actually actively go buy the regular versions and not put these more premium versions of cards in my deck. I know that it is solved if you have all foils, something like that, but I just think it kind of sucks. Um, like we've seen so many, so many DQs <laughs> recently with this, like even where I'm, I was getting proxies for my sealed decks and stuff like that. Uh, that, that did yeah. it for me. But on top of that, it's just like a, it's, it's a thing. Like the things you own start to own you. Like it's just, it has, it's taking up so much space. It's such an effort. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, I wanted to have that combo with you, Hayden, because I didn't know if you were a collector or not. And it's just, it's interesting for me going through this metamorphosis and this process of, uh, you know, really liking my shiny cards. And then now they just, they just take up space. Yeah, I mean, I guess cold foils is maybe a little bit different to rainbow foils because of you don't get the warping right. So that's interesting in that. I also want to point out that um, <clears throat> we've recently, at the end of June, had a policy change when it comes to foils and what that means from a penalty guideline standpoint. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, if penalties are still need to be handing out for people playing foils because they look too different, that's an issue with printing, I think, as well. Uh, but I do just want to point out that there's been changes in that. Yeah, no DQs, of, just game losses. Yeah, exactly. But which is still, yeah, from a competitive Sucks, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I, I agree. That's why I just want to point it out. I'm not using that as a kind of, I guess, a point of saying it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I do. That is a bit of concern for me. I, I never play with foils in any game, basically, for that reason. The one I actually played with foils at the Pro Tour, but that's because I didn't know I was going to be playing Kano, and I that's what I had available to me was, mm -hmm. was a half foil deck. Uh, I didn't get a deck check at the event but i actually did have a judge look at my deck because i was like worried about it uh and they said no issue um you know there was no kind of uniformity to patterns that could be pulled out in, in my deck my foils were all pretty flat uh but yeah i mean it's definitely a bit of a concern if you're a competitive player but you also like pretty things right i will say i do think they still look amazing the marbles from the set look fantastic they're cool they're cold foil maybe that does address some of the issue of playing foils and non-foils maybe double sleeving helps you in some regard there's so it many does. different things but I think if you're if you're into collecting and you like cool things and you like playing with pretty things at, at whatever level of play, maybe not the highest level competitive play, I think that's still accessible and available to you. Um, and I don't know. I do think that the change from the first edition Unlimited Split has been a good oh, thing for collecting. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Very good. Very good. Hard I mean, one. you said you Hard said one. yeah you said it at the uh, sort of at the beginning. We started talking about this. You said now you don't have to open two products. You're opening it's it's much better. It's like so much better. It's a great change. We don't talk a lot about it because we're less interested in that I side mean, of the game but just yeah. inherently. But yeah, I think that's been a great a great change. Two point cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love having these marvels sitting in my folder. They look awesome. I'm not playing with them, but they look cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Bryn, I want to talk a little bit about more about gameplay and I guess some things like that. And and I guess a take I, I have, I don't know if this is just something I want to throw out, but of the top 15 or 10 to 15 players in the world, I think now a maximum of three of them probably reside in the first adopter nations of Oceania and the global game has really caught up. We saw it at PT1, mm. and I think we're going to see it at PT2, that Flesh and Blood has become a truly go global game with global player base and a diverse range of the best players in the world being from different regions. Had this on mine as well. This, uh, Like Ooh, like I said at the top, this uh, we, uh, we wrote these secretly from each other. I don't know if that's the right word. But yes, I've been very impressed. Um, we wrote our vows separately. Yeah, I've been very impressed after getting exposure to other testing groups and other players um, recently. So I was in New York and I saw Michael Fang and Yuanji. And, and then I also was with um, 
Sean Yang at the team tournament, as well as Michael Hamilton, who I'd known a little bit before. But these players are, they're on the cutting edge. Uh, and I think that they are kind of trailblazing their own story. And I actually feel like at this point, you know, they're not, there was a point, there was a time in Flesh and Blood where I felt like people were keeping up with us. And now I feel like we're all running the same race slash we need to keep up with them because these players are getting so good. And I think that top echelon, whether it's 10 or 15 players, has just gotten exceedingly good at not only playing the game, but deck building and appropriately testing and sort of adapting to metas and things like that. And they also happen to not live in Oceania. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I look. I think we're at a point now where it's really hard because we don't have the system in place right now, and then we've kind of already talked about that. I'm not going to rehash it with Eloy, but uh, I think if you were to try and name, you say the top dozen players in the world, or try and say like who are the top twenty players in the world, it's going to majority come from opinion of other players who have played against these players and a bit of a, a discourse, to be honest, because it's really hard right now with the way. You know, we don't have enough events to, to make ELO, I guess, a representation of the best players. And, and is it always, to be honest, because of, of how you can drop and gain ELO? But, um, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to look at. I guess what we're going to find out is by the end of next year, we're going to have some PTs under about. We're going to have a number of callings. Consistent results, is to me, is what is the marker of a good player. Uh, but also the way that people approach the game. People, You know, we're going to have... We're going to have people who are known for deck building. We're going to have players who are known as limited specialists. We're going to have players who are known as classic instructed, as blitz specialists, whatever, as team specialists. And that's super exciting to me. And I can't wait for us to be like, yeah, like these are the players, right? Like these are the best players, you know? And I think we've already got, you know, we've had historically a bit of that because of the the early adopters and where players sat and, you know, multiple finishes and things like that. But we're going to get to a point where it starts to become, the game is big enough with how multiple pro tours, it starts to become really legitimate, right? Like, you know, if we get down the track next year and, uh, you know, someone like a, a Pablo Pintor or uh, um, uh, an Alexander Four, you know, made three top eights of PTs. Now you're starting to go like, yeah, I mean, this this is, you know, these, these are the players. So it's going to be cool to see. Agreed. All right, Brendan, before we wrap up, I got one more for you. It's gameplay related again. It's about design space, I guess, and what we might see with the game. My last, my very last hot take for this episode 66 is we will get an absolutely broken combo deck in the next calendar year due to set releases, testing, LSS growth, things being missed, things like that. And some of these cards that are already catalysts for this, they're out there already. You know, you look at Aether Wildfires, you Blossoming Spellblades, your Cautions of the World, three of a kinds. I think it's inevitable and I think we're going to see it. Yeah, I'd be surprised if we don't have one for PT2. Um, Ooh, okay. <laughs> I just... Don't give away the tip. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my combo. Viscerite without Polito Minuis. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that as the card pool expands, it's just the liability on degenerate combos just gets higher and higher. And that's sort of inherent to a, to an eternal game like this. So I definitely agree with you. I would uh I would take the under on that on that uh on that timeline. Not a very hot take for me then, is it? All right, fair enough, Brendan. Well, uh that's gonna do it for I guess our main topic of episode sixty six. Where to next, Brendan? I think we've got a Google review, but I, I'm sharing a Google review this week. We've kind of inverted it. Yes, we have. All right. So if you do want to get your Google reviews in, uh, or I guess any review for the podcast, we do really appreciate it. It does help us get out to more people out there, get the podcast kind of on those uh, charts, etc. You can do that at ratethispodcast.com forward slash Arsenal Pass. It'll take you to your preferred listening method, be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, whatever it is, and you can write your review there. This week's review comes from uh, Winger, 
which is great. This might be my favorite. This is an, uh, one that came in a little a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, but I want to share it. It's a five-star rating, and the title is The Weirdest Arsenal Podcast I've Ever Heard. Look, like everyone here, I was looking for the perfect podcast to give me the inside scoop on the Arsenal Football Club when I came across Arsenal Pass. My first thought was, yeah, they do pass, don't they? So I decided to give it a listen. The opening intro immediately hooked me, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. First, how can a podcast have flesh and blood? Bet the idiots over at Tottenham Hotspur don't have this tech. Second, the players are making a podcast for other players. That's some 4D chess right there. I'm not sure which players are the hosts. The names they use aren't on the roster. Maybe these are aliases. Brendan toys with Hayden by tapping the desk and touching his microphone. Hayden claps back with his jabs about how Brendan hasn't won anything lately. Classic mind games from one pro to another. The plays they discuss have names like The Chain Mirror and Prisma's Trash, or is she? It's absolutely wonderful to get the inside scoop from these savants. Then there's mentions of the tall Timmy, an elusive character who appears to be the brains of the operation. Only two things are known about TT. He's tall, and he has most certainly helped his best friend Hayden win a national championship. Whatever they're paying him, it's not enough. Honestly, I have no idea what they're talking about half the time, but that hardly matters. They've cultivated a community that benefits from their wisdom and cares enough to fly out to New Jersey for some unknown reason. Prepare to be entertained and impressed. Thank you, Winger, for the uh, review. As an Arsenal football fan, that definitely made me laugh quite a lot. Yeah, um, I was actually looking at uh, looking at Arsenal podcast yesterday because I was wondering how far we had down on SEO, and uh, there's a lot of big Arsenal football club podcasts. I was like, holy crap! <laughs> Biggest <laughs> football club in the world, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think our our goal is just to trick a few uh, a few of those people into um, hopping on the flesh and blood, I guess. Well, I'm going to uh, London after Pro Tour Lille, and I'm going to go and watch an Arsenal football game. Maybe I can wear some Arsenal pass paraphernalia and, and get some people listening accidentally. Maybe I can try that. I can put up a banner. Maybe. I don't know. We'll try our best. Anyway, Brendan, uh, that's been our good review. That's been the pod for this week. Thank you uh, for everyone for listening. Big shout out and thank you to our patrons as always. And uh, me and Brendan are on Twitter. If you want to engage with us, if you want to get on Flesh and Blood Twitter, join the uh, Fab Fitness Challenge community or any of the community over on, on Twitter for Flesh and Blood. Um, Brendan is at BrendanAPG. I'm at Fian underscore Dale. And until next week, we'll see you then. See you, everybody.